Hello and welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Janelle. I've got a special treat for you this time. I found a memory card with excerpts of interviews that we did at Wild Goose last year in 2018. And as you may know, if you've been following us, we're headed there in just a few weeks. So I want to share with you our on-the-street interviews from Wild Goose 2018. If you want to continue to follow our adventures, you can find us at www.brewtheology.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Brewtheology and on Twitter at Brew underscore Theology. So we'll see you at Wild Goose and talk to you later. Hello, this is Janelle from the Wild Goose Festival in 2018, and I'm doing on-the-street interviews, and today I'm here with the ladies of Free Mom Hugs, and so I'm going to have them tell you about them and what they do and help us get a little more woke about what's going on out there. So can you tell me your name? Hi, Sarah Cunningham. And who is your favorite author or theologian? Kathy Baldock, hands down, Walking the Bridgeless Canyon. Tell me more. Uh, Well, she um, was from an evangelical background, very conservative. Um, I mean, if she couldn't save you, nobody could. And uh, she started walking the canyon, and uh, a friend who just happened to be walking the same canyon, uh, they became friends, and it just so happened that uh, this woman was uh, is part of the lesbian community, and they just had started a friendship, and uh, she just had to re-examine everything that she believes, and she has done the homework that no matter where you stand, uh, scientifically, historically, biblically, scripturally, um, there's the, no reason not to have a better understanding on what it means to be part of the LGBTQ community, and uh, for me, um, through her teaching, and, and uh, just gains an understanding that the real choice is to remain in fear and ignorance of it. Uh, do you have a favorite beverage? Box wine, chillable red. All right, there we go. And tell me about what you do. I I met you at the Gay Christian Network Conference, or the I think it's called Q now, and um, just saw your work there as you were giving out hugs to people, and it was beautiful. And then I've watched online as you have traveled the country sharing this message. So I'd love for you to tell our listeners what you do and how we can support you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the platform. Um, well, um, we, uh, my husband and I have two children, one of which is gay. And navigating uh, that through living in a very conservative state and growing our, raising our family in a very conservative church, uh, for 20 years, uh, when our son came out to us, as we became uh, more affirming or just try to navigate through that, uh, we experienced as a family the alienation and separation that comes from from trying to just search that matter out. And I didn't know where to look for resources. Um, I really didn't have anyone that that could, you know, just help me do that. So, in doing that, uh, we just uh, experienced again the devastation that comes from separation, something that my sons and the community has experienced their whole life to a much greater degree. And two things happened. I wrote a book about it, How We Sleep at Night, a mother's memoir. And I'm not a scholar or a theologian, but it's just how I got through it. Right. And I just wrote it for therapeutical reasons, but it it turned out to be very successful for moms like me. And uh, about the same time, I found a private online Facebook group for moms with LGBTQ kids Uh uh, called Serendipity Doodah. It is private. You cannot find it. Uh, But there is a public page by that name that you can get in contact with the facilitator there. If you are a mother or parent uh, with a child on the spectrum, it is a well-source 
a wellspring of resources and support. Okay. And it's moms and dads too. Um, and we just offer support and resources and we just encourage each other to have authentic relationships with our children and to um, encourage the community that we love them. And we write letters to city faith and business leaders who are trying to pass, sell, or teach anything that are detrimental to our children. And anyway, I, I tell people that um, I've, I've learned, um, I feel like I was forced into a position that I was created for. So I made a homemade button. I went to a first pride parade. Uh, the button read, free mom hugs. And I just made myself available. Anybody yeah. who made eye contact with me, I said, can I offer you a free mom hug or a high five? Because not everybody's a hugger. Yeah. And I just heard horror stories that still haunt me today. Yeah. And I thought, we need to have this conversation. So that's what started. The next year, we made a banner, and some moms and friends and allies walked in the parade. And you would think that we were, you know, just passing out gold. Wow. Um, it was a profound experience. And then uh, after the election, uh, the great devastation kind of ripple effect through the mom, the group of moms and the community. And so that's what started the tour. And we've traveled to the Stonewall Inn and spent Mother's Day there. And then we just now got back from the Matthew Shepard Memorial. Okay. And we'll go every year and, until the world is safer and a kinder, more loving place for our children. That's awesome. That's a long, that's a short that's story. Right. <laughs> um, if we have, you know, a parent or a loved one that maybe one of their relatives or friends has just come out to, what's some advice you would give them yeah. on how to be present and how to take care of that person? Well, I would, I would just encourage a parent to make their home a safe place. Your child should not have to check themselves at the door or be fearful uh, that they're going to be snatched out of their bed and sent to a conversion therapy camp, which, by the way, is still legal in Oklahoma City. Um, and we're fighting very diligently to get that outlawed, as it is in seven or 11 states. And uh, so to make your home a safe place and to get educated. And as parents with children on the spectrum, we... The sooner we learn to celebrate our children, mm -hmm. uh, we'll either learn to celebrate them or we're going to suffer with them yeah. or without them. Yeah. And, um, and there's so much information out there now to not have a better understanding. So find support. Surround yourself with people who will, sell, who will support your children while you navigate through this. And um, if you don't have that, then find it. If a parent or friend is feeling kind of desperate, like you described, you felt, mm -mm. What, is, what is something you'd want their heart to know right now? To know that, first and foremost, you are not alone. You are not alone. Uh, when we first joined the group, there were 250 moms, and the group grew so big and so fast that we had to split it into three different groups. Wow. And I stayed in one because that's where my relationships are, and we're 3,000 moms. And you know what? We all have the same story, and there's nothing uh, more uh, healing than knowing that you're not alone. Right. And when you find out that you're not alone, you can learn from each other, and you find your voice, yeah. and you just learn to, to live your story. That's and there's amazing. power there. There's uh, healing there. Uh, so we, first and foremost, you're not alone. I met a mother in Topeka on the last tour. She thought that she was the only mother in Topeka with a transgender child. Well, you know what? We met at a mom-and-pop store, or mom-and-pop restaurant, and she met two more moms. That's awesome. And you should have, I mean, to see the realization when you realize that you're not alone and you're not crazy thinking these thoughts. 
and I believe that the problem started with the church, and I believe that it can be resolved in the church, in the affirming church. And if I could just say one more thing, and I'll yes, shut up. Yes, please. No, but I had to learn uh, the difference between affirming and non-affirming. Okay. And affirming will celebrate the LGBTQ community in every aspect, celebrate their spiritual gifts. The affirming church will honor same-sex marriage as holy. Non-affirming will limit the spiritual gifts. Like, for example, uh, they won't allow the transgender individual to work in the nursery. Right. Or they're limited. And they certainly won't um, celebrate same-sex marriage as being holy. Right. Now, the problem that we have by not knowing those the difference between the two is that our children are raised up in a, in a non-affirming church. They uh, serve uh, their whole lives, and when they fall in love or come out, they're devastated when right. they're shunned or, or displaced or their youth pastor won't marry them. Yeah. Um, and that's where the problem is. The churches need to be clear where they stand. I'm not trying to change doctrine, but you must be clear where you stand. And if you have friends that you're inviting to your non-affirming church, stop. And if you're a parent, find an affirming church that will celebrate your child and honor uh, their relationships, their marriage is holy, and uh, the world will be a much better place. I totally agree. I, I went to a church for a while in Denver that said that it was open and equal and loved everyone, but then I found out that some of the staff were discouraging people that were LGBTQ from coming behind the scenes, and I didn't know that. And that is unfair and sinful to everybody it's involved. Damaging. It's It's harmful. Yeah. It's harming. And, you know, I used to say, well, it's, I, I guess I've come to the point where it's no longer acceptable. Agreeing to disagree is no longer acceptable, not when lives are in the balance. Yeah. So that's why, number one, we need to listen. We need to uh, validate where people come from, their education, their geographics, their how they were raised, and then we can educate. But we've got to be clear in our churches where they stand because that's where the problems happen, and families end up devastated and in limbo. And um, why why would you put your tithe and your time and your energy into a place that's uh, has a great potential to harm your child, Un unintentionally? But it's, uh, but it's happening. It's proven. Yep. So where can our listeners find more information about you? Well, we do have, um, you know, we're all over social media. If you okay. just want to type in free mom hugs, you can find us. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the private group, if you want to if you want to be added or know someone who could benefit from being in that type of support group, uh, they can uh, send a private message to free mom hugs, uh, the Facebook page, a private message there, and we'll get them, we'll get them okay. in contact. Great. Thank you so much for this platform. I love what you're doing. And. Uh, just so thankful that we're on this side of the story together. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is Janelle, and I'm here with Joshua, and he's going to answer our questions of the week here at Wild Goose. So what is the worst theology you've ever heard or experienced? Uh Probably the, the worst that I've experienced is um, during a hard time, death of the, a fam very close family member, uh, is that um, God will never give you more than you will handle, um, which is not really helpful in those, those moments of deep pain, uh, yeah. and, and I don't really agree with that uh, theology. Yeah. Um, theology that gives me hope uh, is uh, open tables. Um, and so if you're not familiar with open tables, what it is is uh, kind of like what brute theology does. Um, you sit down, there's conversation with 
there's um, no winning argument uh, at hand. It's just a conversation. So. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us. All right. Hi, this is Janelle, and I'm here with the hosts of the Cocktail Theology Podcast. So what are your names? I'm Elaine O'Rourke. I'm Benton Stokes. And tell me about what is the worst theology you have ever heard. It's such a wide variety. The worst theology I've ever heard is the one that says God is perpetually mad at you. Yes. Wow. Um, yeah, that that uh, that you are not accepted, not loved, not welcome. Um, obviously, that's that's not true of the God that we believe. Right. And what's the theology that gives you hope? The eternal life is now. That is, the kingdom is here. Jesus already did that, and we just have to step into it and live in it. Absolutely. And events like this give me hope because there's such diversity of thought, um, diversity of background. We all come with our own ideas. Uh, but we can all be here together in this beautiful place and share our thoughts and our ideas, and I think it's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Appreciate it. Hello, Brew Theology, and I'm here with Brian. And Brian, tell me, what is the worst theology you've ever heard? Um, penal substitutionary atonement. All right. That is awful. And uh, what is the most hopeful theology that you think is out there right now? I cannot remember the the name off the top of my head. Well, it's okay. It's, you can describe it. Yeah, um, it comes from the a uh, lot of African American theology, the liberation. liberation theology. This this one of my really strikes a chord with yeah. me. It's and it gives me a lot of hope that uh, to see Jesus as a as a partner rather than. Uh, uh, somebody to be subservient to that's you know far more uh hopeful to me for the future that's great i love that hey benny you want to say hi to the podcast hi Hi, i'm benny out loud you want to say hi i'm betsy (laughs) come on you can do it hi all right that was benny joining us on the podcast today so live from wild goose you ready to go I'm here with David Finnegy Hosey. That's fun to say. <laughs> We're on the main road. You wrote a book. True. And I heard it's pretty good. Well, thank you. We got one of your friends here who actually likes it, and you. Andy, how's, how's it going? It's going pretty great. Everybody knows Andy. Now, uh, I got a couple questions before we get going. Yeah, sure. Favorite beverage of choice? Uh, you know, right now I'm drinking this fresh squeezed lemonade from here at the Wild Goose Festival. And uh, at least right now, that's my favorite beverage. Right now, okay. That's all that we, that's all that we know. We don't know what's going to happen later. Who knows? Yeah, we're just we're just dust and you know, <laughs> in the wind. And now let's go. Let's go to bad theology. What is the worst theology you've ever heard that's been impressed upon you? Hmm. So I, I don't know if this is like the worst theology that's been impressed upon me, but it's a plank in every bad theology I've ever heard impressed upon me, and it really is this like. Uh, that faith is about being able to do it, do it alone with no help. That it's this sort of individual act of the will uh, that you can just power through. So I think like that's that's at least a plank in every single kind of toxic theology that we're dealing with in this this moment in time. I think we need to let Andy answer that too, <laughs> and maybe we'll have a little debate right here. Andy, what is the worst theology you've been given? 
Oh, geez. I think the worst theology that we've been given is that we are to read the Bible out of its context rather than within the context. I think so many people are taught that the Bible says it, I believe it, that's the way it is. And we end up with just really toxic theologies and toxic understandings that don't actually match up with, with the Christ that I experience or the Holy Spirit that I experience, the God that I experience. Good stuff. I'm not going to argue. I want to argue with Andy, but I can't. Usually we do argue. We're, we'll find this later on. We'll find a way. Now, theology of hope. Give me something hopeful, theologically based, that you're going, this is going to move us forward as a society. So I think, um, you know, my book's called Christ on the Psych Ward. And uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is, in my experience of being uh, in an inpatient psychiatric unit, in and out of inpatient psychiatric units for about six months back in 2011, um, meeting God, meeting Christ in a way that was surprising and vulnerable and and I would even say maybe weak um, and that kind of God makes God's self present exactly in moments of weakness and of hurt and moments that are kind of jagged and fragmented and don't quite fit together and that was important for me personally um, and continues to be as somebody who struggles with mental illness and with mental health issues but I think at this moment in time that's also really important for us in a, in a broader sense um, because uh, it's a it's an act of to, to proclaim that to model that vulnerability to proclaim that that divine weakness is a, is an act of resistance in a culture that is addicted to um, these this imagination of a past greatness and a culture that's addicted to supremacy whether it's racial supremacy or patriarchal supremacy but a, a culture that's addicted to strength and violence and we're the greatest and we have to be the greatest again to say like what about the weakness what about the the sort of weaker movements moving through these little kind of rivulets um uh, i think is a really powerful kind of an anti-powerful act of resistance amen andy what about you I actually get a lot of hope from the early church these days. Um, so I look at Acts, Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, and you have these communities that are deeply engaged with one another. Um, their faith is, is part of that. They don't shy away from you know, sharing communion, sharing the elements, sharing life together, but also in a practical way. I mean, they were able to, to eliminate need within the community by holding things in common, by living this radical reorientation of life, and that's so different than what we experience now. Um, but that image, that is the kingdom. And so I have to believe that we can do that. And, and I have hope in the idea that we can reorient our lives that way and actually live in that kind of community where we are able to address the needs from the resources there rather than kind of being this consumption-driven culture where we're separated and we're all just kind of known by how much we can consume. In a way, I feel like you have touched down deep into my Anabaptist roots. So thank you very much. <laughs> now I want you guys to have a, a fun discussion on whatever you want to talk about. This is just, oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So David, you wrote, you wrote a book. I did. And you wrote a book about some pretty heavy stuff. I did. Sorry. Do you want to kind of give us kind of some background, how you ended up writing the book and what kind of the, the onus for starting that project was? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, after our first year of seminary, so Andy and I started at, at seminary together. And uh, after our first year, uh, with the help of a bunch of friends, I checked myself into, um, into the hospital and into the, the psych unit. Um, because I was having just an awful time. Just a, you could describe it as a breakdown, just describe it as a dark time. Um, and uh, finally got to the point where I was, I was pretty scared for my life and uh, reached out first to um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is something that if you're um, struggling or in a dark place, you can reach out to. They, they've got a website and 
chat options and a phone number that you can call as well. Do you um, number by any chance? You know, I don't know it off the top of my head. I should memorize yeah, it. I'm the same. But uh, if you go to ChristOnTheSiteCore.com, it's right at the top of the page on my website. Great. Um, and um, so, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, inpatient, in and out of inpatient for about six months um, from the summer to the winter of 2011. And uh, I had just finished my first year of seminary, right? So I was, in part, struggling with that experience and also kind of grappling with my faith and trying to figure out what this meant for my sense of vocation, my sense of call into ministry. And um, I continued to reflect on those things and think about those things in the years that followed. And um, uh, when I met my now wife, Lee, um, she started sort of encouraging me to write a book. And I was like, nah, you know. But uh, what she ended up doing is convincing me to speak here at the Wild Goose Festival in 2015. I spoke with Sarah Griffith Lund, Reverend Sarah Griffith Lund, who's with the UCC. um, And uh, she has a book called Blessed Are the Crazy that's about her family's experiences with um, mental illness in the church. And uh, we, so the two of us gave a talk together. We were on one of the side stages. There were some national folks on the main stage. We figured if 30 people came, that would be like a, a good show. Uh, and uh, like 300 people came, I think. Um, and it was just so very clear the, the need for the conversation, like how much people really wanted to be having this conversation and how much, especially in faith spaces, like they had never been able to talk about it. Um, we had at the end of our talk, we had people like split up into groups of three and share stories. We came back like an hour later and some of those groups of three were like still going um, <clears throat> kind of outside the tent. So that was that was a real sort of an eye opener for me of the the need for this and the desire for people to be having those conversations. Right. So um, Lee was right, uh, and yeah, you know. so <laughs> so good lesson to learn. So yeah, I started working on the the book that that's out now. It's called Christ on the Psych Ward, and it's right both about um, kind of what that experience was like and also reflecting on that from some theological point of view, um, tackling some texts, some scriptural texts uh, from that point of view and, and giving some help maybe for churches or faith communities about like how can you be in faithful ministry with folks uh, who have mental illness in a way that, that kind of reminds churches and faith communities that like I and other people who have mental health struggles, are I do need help and also I'm a subject, right? I, I also bring gospel and I also... Uh, and you know have the Holy Spirit and I also you know I also have something to share and gifts to give to the church so I I was there in 2015 I remember your talk um, and I was one of those conversations that we talked at least 30-45 minutes after you were done um, because it was such a needed conversation and so why do you think we are so hesitant to talk about mental health in the church why is it still such a taboo when it is so common when so many people do struggle with mental illness in the United States when we are surrounded by so many traumatic things, why, why do you think the church is so scared of this? Yeah. So I think it's complex. I think part of it is that uh, the American church, particularly the white American church, has become pretty bad at just talking about hard things in general and about having space in our worshiping communities to lament and to talk about places where it seems like God isn't showing up, right? Um, uh, so th- that's sort of a big part of it. I think part of it is that there are some faith communities that have been overtly stigmatizing and demonizing of folks with mental illness, for, you know, telling people they need exorcisms or they could pray, away. pray away the cray, right? right? Um, oh. And uh, uh, so there's that group. 
And then there's another group of folks who I think in part in reaction to that group don't want to touch it at all, right? Because so much damage has been done and I could make that damage worse, so let's just not talk about it. And that, that causes its own type of damage. So that was my experience growing up um, in kind of a, you know, pretty sort of like neighborhood, United Methodist Church. It w wasn't either particularly liberal or particularly conservative. I didn't hear that mental illness was because of demons. I didn't hear that it was um, it was because of a lack of faith. I heard zero, right? I heard no conversation about it at all. Which is more damaging. Yeah, which I think ultimately it's more insidious, right? It's, it's harder to it's harder to deal with because when there's this overt harmful theology, I don't know if harder is the right word. Like for people who have been on the receiving end of that harmful theology, the trauma of that and the damage of that, that's really real. So I don't want to minimize that. But but to get the, the churches that kind of aren't talking about it all, to get them some language and some uh, ways of holding that conversation, I think is just really important work. And so what, what kind of sources are you going to? I know I turned you on to Jack Caputo and The Weakness of God, um, but I'm curious, like, what is your theological framework for all of this where you can kind of reconcile scripture, reconcile your, your faith experience with a God that actually fits and actually responds to these crises even when we're not responding to them? Yeah, I knew you were going to bring up Jack Caputo. Yeah, so the, the name of the book comes from this thing I wrote while I was still in the hospital. And the, the line that just like jumped off the page at me and like kind of stuck in my heart was this line in, uh, in Hebrews where the author talks about um, Christ bearing along. Christ, Christ sustains all things with his powerful word. And sustains can also be translated as bears along. Okay. And that image of Christ bearing along with me and like bearing along with all of those who were in the hospital with me was so, that just like, that sunk really deep for me, even at the time. Um, so I think that's sort of like where I start. Um, and, you know, with this idea of this Christ who bears along with us, who, who steps into human experience um, in order to sustain and to hold together and to kind of like put pressure on the wounds, right? Um, and uh, that God, to talk about Caputo, right? And I don't, I'm probably less dedicated to the ontology of this than, right. than Caputo is, but, um, but that God isn't this like almighty sort of thunder Zeus who comes in throwing lightning bolts, right? That's a, to, to bear along with somebody is to take on a really vulnerable posture, to take on, to take on a weakness, right? Um, there's a strength in it. There's like a quiet strength in it, but it's this accompanying side-by-side -side presence, not this sort of like coming down from above with, with thunderbolts and lightning, um, uh, God. And so, um, that to me then has all sorts of implications uh, for how we read scripture, for how we um, imagine community, for how we think about ministry. Um, so I try to tease some of those out in, throughout the book of um, what, what does that image of Christ on the psych ward bearing along have to say to our theology around sin and grace, or our theology of ministry and church, or our theology of what what is illness and what is healing, right? Our, um, our, even our um, our theology of that, but even kind of our societal understandings of that. Uh, so when I hear the, the God who bears along, I, I think of, uh, you know, Christ on the gallows. I think of Moulton, I think of um, Knight, uh, Elie Wiesel, 
I think of those kind of stories, and I'm wondering, like, was that part of this as well? Were those sources you're bringing in? Does that play into there? How, how do you see those engaging with this topic as well? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, any, um, you know, I think Moltmann is a good, you know, we read a lot of Moltmann and Wesley, so so uh, definitely, I think, is the case that that's, that's influenced me. Um, though I think, yeah, I was in the hospital before I got to that part of seminary. Um, so in a way, it, it's definitely true that my reading of like a Jurgen Moltmann has influenced my writing, but it's also true that my experience of being in the hospital first influenced how I read uh, someone like like Jurgen Moltmann. Um, I I had you know previously we've built, well, another thing we have in common right is we were both global mission fellows uh, with the Board of Global Ministries of the United Methodist Church. Bless you. And uh, that was nice that you, you sneezed right over United Methodist Church. I think we should keep that in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, and I had been at this Liberation Theology Center in, in Jerusalem, uh, you know, uh, Reverend Naimatik's Liberation Theology. So I had a familiarity with Liberation Theology. Being in the hospital kind of drew out for me this other piece of that like God and solidarity theology of like what if what what's going on when liberation isn't happening right when um, the freedom isn't on the horizon right it's not and it's not that that isn't there in liberation theology it is I just like I hadn't been sort of in tune maybe to it in the same way um, I, I don't know if I answered your question or not That's but fun. yeah <laughs> so we're talking about a lot of white European theologians um, I'm curious were there other theologians theologians of color um, women queer folks, did they play into this at all? And how do you see this as a resource for some of the most marginalized communities that we have right now that are experiencing trauma and that are not given the space to talk about it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, tr- yeah, I, you know, I tried to draw on a lot of different sort of theological voices um, because one of the things I say in the book, right, is that my story of mental illness and mental health struggle in so many ways, is not a universal story. It's a very particular story, and it's a pretty privileged story. So what are the other voices that need to be kind of heard in this conversation? And there are many. Um, Monica Coleman um, just uh, pretty recently published a book called Bipolar Faith. That's uh, her memoir. It's a great book. If you want a crash course, in, I mean, it covers generational trauma and family history and faith development and and trauma and sexual assault and mental illness. It's just a really, really powerful way that she weaves all these different aspects of her theological formation into this memoir. So uh, hers was a really important voice uh, for me to draw on in the book and to kind of be in conversation with. Um, I really appreciated it. I'm, and I'm, I'm blanking on the author's name. I'm so sorry, but I think it's uh, Reverend Elizabeth Edmond um, who wrote Queer Virtue, uh, which I felt like was a really helpful model for me. She's writing about a different topic, a different aspect of, of identity. But what she basically says in the intro to Queer Virtue is, I'm really tired of like books about uh, it being okay to be gay. Like, like it's fabulous to be gay. It's wonderful to be gay. And, and I want to write about why. Why my experience as a queer person t- teaches me how to be a better Christian in ways the church never could. And when I read that, I was like, yes, that's the yes. book I want to write about mental illness. I want to write a book about how people with mental health struggles it's not just okay that we're here in church. It's good that we're here, and here's why. Here's what that teaches us about God and about faith um, that maybe the church has not been so good at teaching us. Um, and so so I think that's really important. Um, 
uh, a chapter in the book about uh, images of God, uh, where I draw a lot on Elizabeth Johnson's work um, and thinking through, again, if we take away the idea of sort of Thunder Zeus God, what's left? And, uh, you know, I had these really powerful experiences on the, in the psych hospital in Sibley uh, with all the nurses who, at Sibley, you know, on the psych unit, all the nurses who I encountered were, they were predominantly women, right? And these experiences of, like, receiving the healing and the help and the comfort and the, the teaching and the wisdom of God um, at the hands of these psych nurses. Um, and so, like, God as a nurse, right, as it turns out, like, is a very biblical image of God, but one that we've sort of uh, hidden or has been silenced or has been, like, translated out of our text. Um, and so to sort of draw on some of that work that's been done to reclaim some of those uh, those sort of silenced images of God, I think is also a really important part of this, yeah. I guess the last question I've got, I don't know if, Ryan, you have any that you want to follow up with, um, but I'm curious, if you could get this book into the hands of of one community that you think just desperately needs this? Who do you think needs needs to hear kind of a message of hope uh, about the fact that just because you struggle with mental illness does not mean that you are broken and lovable in that kind of space and that, that there are gifts that come out of that. I, I see you as a gifted speaker and preacher and it's not in spite of your experiences. Uh, that is part of what makes makes you able to express yourself in that way. So who needs to read this book? Who needs to get, get these kind of resources in their hands? Yeah. <laughs> How honest do you want me to be right now? I want you to be very honest. So Wesley Theological Seminary, okay. <laughs> you all need to read this book, including staff members. Amen. <laughs> um, I think seminaries in general uh, really, really need to do some critical reflection and some theological thinking about mental health and mental illness because I don't think Wesley is the only place that uh, wants to work on welcoming a whole lot of different identities and then when it gets to mental illness, reacts out of fear. Um, And uh, I managed to finish my degree and there are a number of people who we know who um, left or were sort of told they needed to leave um, who uh, didn't get to finish their degree and whose, um, you know, are those voices are now not in the conversation because of that. And I fear that that will have more over, overt and hurtful consequences than it, than it even already has. Um, and so, yeah, I would say if any one community could read this book, I wish Wesley Theological Seminary would read this book. Yeah. Well, David, thank you for your time. I want to let you run if you've got other talks to go to or other things you want to do with the goose. Um, but this has been fun, and I hope everybody in the Brief Theology community reads Christ on the Psych Word. Thank you. All right. Cool. Thanks. Hey, everybody. This is Janelle. And I'm Tom Lewis, the bar chaplain. All right. And so, Tom, I'm going to start with you because Ryan told us we have to interview each other. So we'll see how this goes. Oh, we have to talk. Uh, <laughs> we haven't been doing that at all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Total total silence at Wild Goose. Yeah, there's nobody at the table ever. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just I just sit here and doodle. <laughs> so what is the worst theology you've ever heard? Ooh, the worst theology I've ever heard. So I grew up evangelical Southern Baptist and have served as a youth minister, so my heart will kind of always be in, in some of that area. And so probably the most damaging stuff I heard there was always purity culture uh, because it framed sexuality and sex in general as something that was just always going to be associated with shame. And I, so many students that were in my youth group 
just grew up to permanently associate sex and sexuality with shame, and that's not a healthy way to live. No, it is not. Um, and what is a theology that brings you hope? Uh, for me, theologies of the kingdom and really just this idea of jubilee, of restoration, of, I mean, to me, that that is hope. Uh, I can talk about hope for a really long time, so if we need to cut this short, I understand, but I always appreciate the fact that the word hope appears most times in the Bible in the book of Job and the Psalms of Lament, the places where it should not be, and to me, the idea that the kingdom is something that defies expectations, hope is something that defies expectations, I don't know, it's just hard not to get excited about what lies ahead when that's the framework. That is very cool. All right, you're up. All right, cool. Can you tell me, what is the worst theology you've ever heard? So this is going to sound repetitive to our listeners, but I'm going to go with purity culture as well. Okay. Uh, I think it's extremely damaging. Um, and in my tradition, we layered onto that the idea of entire sanctification, that you're entirely pure and you don't sin anymore. So sexual shame especially carried like the extra weight of... You know, if you've been sanctified, now you've completely screwed up. Mm. So it was pretty intense. Wow. So let's step away from that. What theology brings you hope? Um, well, Ryan would tell me nothing because I'm really skeptical. So there is um, no hope. Understood. Now, okay. Well, and I think I'm not, I haven't read a ton about it, but when we interviewed De- Miguel De La Torre, he talked about that it's when we go beyond hope and despair and get to desperation that we're willing to move that that is when the world can be redeemed so I'm not sure that I I can back that up with all of the people that do that work but I think there is something true about that especially in the culture we're living in that we have to get to a place of action if we want it to change and until we do that um, we can't really expect it all right Cool. Just uh, stay cool and dry because we're all hot and sweaty here at the Goose. Yep. Everybody hydrate. Yep. So we are here with Dr. Jörg Rieger from Vanderbilt University. Um, he is a ethicist and a liberationist and talks about empire and how the church can exist within that and respond to that. Um, and so we have a few questions for you today. Um, the first one is... What is your beverage of choice? We're here with Brew Theology, so we like to have some brews. What do you go to? That's an interesting question. I'm Well, let me say one thing in addition to the ethicist. I'm really a theologian. Okay. Sometimes people say I'm an eth- ethicist and theologian. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, but the basic point is, you know, it's, it's ultimately about uh, not so much us and what we're doing, but about God and what God's doing. Which brings me to my beverage. Okay. Uh, something that has spirit, right? It, mm-hmm. it has to have some little bit of a kick. I grew up in Germany, so you'd say maybe it's beer, you know, uh, that, that's always helpful. Uh, but I also like red wine. Okay. Uh, and sometimes I, I drink non-alcoholic stuff too. Okay. So. Fair enough. Um, so the second question, what is the most harmful theology or most toxic theology that you encounter? You know, it, it's this dominant theology that thinks about God as somebody who acts from the top down, who controls everything. And, and that has two manifestations. One is uh, it manifests itself in violence brutality you know it, it sort of controls people but it's also manifesting itself in love you know it's a sort of smothering love that wants everybody sort of to be your friend and uh, you're still in control at the end of the day so so I think the most damaging theology is one in which God runs everything uh, without being in conversation without being in relationship okay 
then the last question is, is where are you finding hope theologically? What, what is that source that's allowing you to keep going? So the theologians would say, well, we, we're finding hope in God, but, but my question is, where is God embodied in the world? And so for me, um, as you know, people who read my, my books know, I find hope in the grassroots. That is to say, I, I find hope in the common people who are not giving into the system or sometimes, you know, who are living alternative ways of life. Now, that's a very general answer, so, so let me specify that. Uh, for a long time now, I, I've really uh, done work on labor issues specifically because it seems to me 99% of us have to work for a living. And some of us who have to work for a living are smart enough to realize that we're actually doing that together. We're doing it in community. And so this is people who are organizing. So, so where I find hope is grassroots who are beginning to organize their power. And if you get really lucky, you know, the theologians also become part of that. So it's the theologians not by themselves telling other people what to do, but learning from the wisdom of these organized communities. Communities of working people, those are minority communities very often, you know black communities, uh, immigrant communities, uh, but it's also white people who are sort of misled uh, that their interest somehow lies with those at the top, and it doesn't. And so together, that's that's where we find stuff happening. And, uh, and the great thing is we don't have to make it up. It's already happening. We just have to pay more attention to it. Well, thank you so much. I don't know, Ryan, you have any other questions? Or? That's great. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Rieger. It's been a pleasure. Oh. I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of the goose. Keep up the good work. Having fun? Hey everybody, this is Janelle from Brew Theology, and we're still at Wild Goose. And we saw these two lovely ladies carrying a resist sign down the road. What's what's your name? Myra. Myra and Ruthie. Ruthie, I love your sign. Can you tell me why you're carrying it and what it means to you? Well, we're carrying it because uh, we want people to like be comfortable around other people so then and when other people judge them they don't have to they just can ignore them so then they don't feel ashamed that is the most awesome answer i think i've heard all day (laughs) how about you andy yeah that was fantastic yeah what about you do you want to add something what does the sign mean to you i think it's um nice because like it helps people remind things about them yeah yeah what about um what is something in today's world that gives you a little bit of hope? Um, that we will go um, hiking today. Awesome. I love that. How about you? Something that gives you hope? want to meet other new people. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, and keep marching on. Have fun, guys. Yeah. We are back with... Reverend Dr. Paula Williams, co-pastor at Left Hand Church in Longmont. TED Talk extraordinaire, has done many things in her career. If you go back to one of our episodes way, way back, we talk about transgender with Paula. I've got three questions for you. First one is, and I know the answer, but those who didn't hear you back in the day, what is your favorite beverage of choice? Uh, Well, iced tea. That's pretty much all I drink. That's it. I don't like water, never have. Don't really drink much alcohol, just iced tea. And we brew tea and coffee. Because I remember when we had you on the show, I was freaking out, going, "What do I? What kind of tea should I should I get her? I don't know." And Lauren's like, Lauren's like, Lauren's like, just make tea. I go, I don't make tea, but she drinks tea. We don't judge anybody for drinking anything. So this next one is about bad theology. What is the worst theology you've ever inherited that's been impressed upon you? I would have to say the substitutionary atonement. The idea that God 
really basically dislikes me unless uh, unless he's willing to, to fry his own son so I can become somehow bearable. Just how did we get there? How did we get to that point? I mean, there's some history there, but we don't want to bore people. <laughs> Hashtag atonement theories. And then last but not least, what theology gives you hope moving forward? Well, I think it's really just the Jesus meta-narrative. I mean, it's like uh, Rene Girard said, you know, who's an anthropologist and philosopher, wasn't even a Christian at the time. He said there's only one meta-narrative written from the perspective of the loser, of the victim, of the victimized, and, and it's the Jesus meta-narrative. Not the religion that developed around it, that became traditionally tribal, creating enemies that don't exist, creating scapegoats. But if you can get back to that narrative, which I think was very well articulated on Jesus' last public day of ministry, it was an answer to his very final question, which are the laws of the greatest? Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, those three things. We get there, we can save the species and maybe the planet, let alone ourselves. You, I think you have more hope than a lot of people, so, and I appreciate that. I do. I'm very hopeful. I believe that we'll, we can get there. I, I think we're moving in the right direction in fits and starts and bits and pieces, but I think we are. I'm, I'm not exactly a post-millennialist, if any theologians out there know what that means anymore. Um, but I, I do believe that, that there's some real possibilities. Yeah. All right. There was another geese along the road, so anything else? Sounds good. All right, Dan. We'll talk to you later. Hey everybody, this is Janelle with Theology, and I'm here with Sarah and Laura from the Bible Bitches podcast. Is it BibleBitches.com or .org? Uh, or? You can find us actually engagedgaze, G-A-Z-E.com is hosting our podcast. Um, you can find us on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And you can uh, find our fan page uh, on Facebook, Bible Bitches, and also uh, on Twitter at Bible Bitches. And we check those pretty regularly. Yeah. So. That was awesome. I have to always look at something to remember it all. All right. Um, so we'll start with last year's question. What is your favorite beverage of choice? Ooh, um, I like alcoholic beverage, I assume. Can be anything. Oh, scotch. I like all a right. good PD scotch. All right. Um, well, I am of Scottish descent, so I have to also say scotch as well. All right. We have scotch around the microphone. I will go for gin first, but scotch is delightful. Um, so our first question is, what is the worst theology that you have ever encountered? Oh, um, I'm going to go with prosperity theology, because that shit's real bad. Real bad for everyone. Yeah. I once had a uh, substitute teacher at an unnamed Christian high school uh, who believed that once you're baptized, you can never sin, and he was an asshole. So, and he kind of had free reign to do that if he believed he could never sin. Yeah. So did he just, like, whenever he did sin, did he just have to re, like, rededicate his life to God over and over again? Or he was no, just like, just, now I never sin. I'm perfect. Oh. I'm perfected in Christ. That's, That's funny that that was a Baptist, because I come from the Church of the Nazarene, and that is the way it was talked about in my tradition, that you're entirely sanctified, and once that's done, it's finished. Like, to the point where I quit praying the Lord's Prayer, because I don't need to confess anymore. Yeah, so there was no other sin. That was, It was over. So bad. Um, and then what theology gives you hope right now? So I'm agnostic. Okay. So um, my theology is more like, are we sure about that? 
Um, so I find a lot of hope in just the people around me, um, doing like volunteer work, helping other people, seeing other people help other people and just like offer that kindness. That's what I like. That's what brings me hope. Awesome. I uh, really tend to kind of overarchingly go with process theology that we kind of all have to sort of work together with God, um, but really strongly um, practically go for liberation theology. Um, so a lot of um, African-American and Latinx uh, theology, womanist stuff. Um, I just kind of get, get my strength from that, especially in this era, 2018. Holy shit. <laughs> yes. Holy shit. Uh, what are your latest episodes about? So we just, like literally just recorded one on um, gun violence with our friend Erin Erin Goddard. Sorry, her maiden name is Gordon. Um, with Erin Goddard, who um, volunteers with women. I'm going to mess this up. Demand action against. What changed its name? But so we're just going to say mom, Moms Demand action. action, and it's basically they want gun sense in America. Um, so they hand out uh, like gun locks and things like that. And so she was kind of talking about um, the theology behind that um, for her as uh, someone who is a person of faith. Um, and then before that, we did one on exorcism um, that was really exciting. Um, we've also uh, covered other topics like um, Song of Solomon and sex. And one of, my, you know, one of my favorites was the one we just did where we interviewed Lara's husband, Brian Eller, um, who is the executive director for Define American. And we talked about what's happening down at the um, U.S.-Mexico border and the conversation that, you know, all the things that Jeff Sessions is doing and, like, the conversation around Romans 13. It It was a really good episode. I was proud of that one. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me and we'll link to your podcast and we'll see you next year at The Goose. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yes. All right, we are here with Nathan Welch from Homebrew Christianity and The Road to Edmund. That's right. That movie's coming out soon. It is. It's Yeah, very soon. Soon and very soon. That's right. So we have a couple questions for you. First off, beverage of choice on any given day. Well, always coffee. I'm a coffee guy. I like a, a Peru light roast, pour over, or Chemex. It's all right. I love that people are saying tea and coffee in this. This is fantastic. Okay, also single malt scotch. Okay, so you had to go there. Yeah. But during the day? During the day. Coffee. Okay. For sure. And horrible, shitty theology that you have heard in your lifetime. Go. Um, If you don't pray hard enough or have enough faith, then you'll never be healed. Or, you know, if you you have uh, some sort of disability, then you need to try harder. You need to have stronger faith. Otherwise, you'll never be healed. And, And that if you do pray and still are not healed, then it's your fault. You know, I hate that shit. Yeah, that does suck. So, uh, because I'm an optimist, and I know this might be hard for you, but like your movie, I won't give away the ending, there's a glimmer of hope. Can you give me some theology of hope? Uh, Honestly, I think it is friendships. And that sounds cheesy and corny and lame as shit, but I, I think that people investing in the relationships that they have with other people, committing to those, and and... I, I don't know. I, I've I've got hope from that, from from those relationships that I've cultivated over the the past few years, and and it's not been easy to do that for sure. But um, I think that's where I find the most hope is is in those friendships that I've made and kept, and that's what keeps me going in a lot of ways. So I don't really have like a 
a big connection to a faith community or anything like that. So it's those friendships that sort of that friendship network sort of strewn about the country that that provides that for me in a lot of ways. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So amen. Yeah, yeah man. Everybody, we have the one and the only Dr. Trip Fuller. Reverend Dr. Reverend Dr. Trip Fuller. And that was uh, that was the co-host here, Nathan Welch, whom you just heard, Humber Christianity's finest. We're here at the Wild Goose, and I know you like to drink a few beverages, but what's your favorite all year long? All year long? Ooh, Drake's 1500. Drake's. Yeah, you, you do that unchecked. You check on untapped quite a bit, right? Drake's 1500, yes. <laughs> Crux from Monkish, the Elderflower Belgian single. I don't think Those two are like hundreds of more check-ins than all the others. Yeah, I noticed the Drake's, I don't, but I've never had them because they're California. Bay Area. Yeah. All right, next we're going to be talking about bad theology as opposed to good theology. Okay. So what is the worst theology that you were given when you were young? Uh, Calvinism. Just in general? Yeah. Anything specific about that? Uh, God's an asshole. I knew like, you were going to say that. No, I mean just like the idea that God's holiness is somehow displayed by creating people and determining them for eternal conscious torment. That's just horrible. Yeah. And then when they're trying to explain the gospel, before you can hear any good news, you have to understand how crappy you are and how sinful you are. But it's not personal. It's everyone. Everyone's that bad. So do you, <laughs> right? do you, blame, do you blame Calvin as followers or can you get, go back to even original sin? Is that the problem? No, uh, Augustine's a lot better than Calvin. I mean, he just doubled down. Yeah, yeah, yeah he he, he, double he doubled <laughs> down on the depravity. He doubled the D in the depravity. Now, Augustine got worse over time, but that's partially to do with the people he had arguments with. So, all right, gotta I'm give, not see. I'm paused from going off on an excursus. You, you were about to. So, give me some. Give me some hope. You know me. I like I like the world with the glass that's half full. What theology today gives you hope for tomorrow? Um, I well, I don't know if it's necessarily any specific theology. Even though I have very strong commitments, it's more uh, that theology is less and less an activity a few people that just talk to each other have, and theology is becoming more of a critical conversation of a larger number of the faithful. And I think that's a positive thing. Um, and uh, and that the church, uh, there's more hope, I think, when more experiences of the body of Christ get to shape what it sounds like when we speak uh, about God. So that's hopeful, um, which means, you know, to really benefit from it. For me, the difficult part is cultivating how to listen well. But you're learning every day. There's a new moment. Yeah, I like reading when I listen best. <laughs> so there you have it. This was both Nathan and Tripp from Homebrew Christianity. Also, The Road to Edmond comes out when? The premieres July 29th in Los Angeles. And then this September, there are three magical days when you can have House of God parties uh, and screen the film in your house. And we even made a video curriculum about the Bible and sexuality uh, for you to use with your friends or just you want to sit in a dark room all by yourself and have me talk about Bible and sex. I don't know. I know maybe Ryan's the only one that wants that. But uh, so head over to homebrewchristianity.com and get more details and theroadtoevan.com and then your his handles are all over that. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Trip wants to give you some love online. 
I, I love online love. There it is. I, I share all sorts of love online. Hey. You know one of my favorite people I've ever met online, Ryan? Ryan Miller. That's right. He's my favorite Spur fan. Are we talking Spurs and Lakers right now? No, I'm just saying that, like, I, I love you so much. That's true. That, like, we even talk about basketball all year round because, like, it's not because I value what you're saying with your Spurness. It's because I value you and the Ryan Millerness of it all. I think we should do some kumbaya tonight. Is that like a hate the, hate the Spurs, hate. love the Spurs fan sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. But we also have our Tim Duncan connection, Wake Forest. Yeah, yeah, go Deeks. There we go. All right, Dan, if you're listening right now, we love you and we miss you. And I know you're being know. a good daddy, but next year you're coming to the Goose. And with yeah, the baby. With the baby. I've done it with three. Dan is rolling his eyes. I can see it. Can you see his eyes right now? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But that baby face. Look, I'll tell Dan something, but don't put this on the podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm here with Bart Patton. We may be related through marriage. <laughs> General Patton, possibly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's back there somewhere. Yeah, it's back and, there. And the fact the fact that you live in Dallas and my wife's family's in Dallas, I think there's a reason. Like the spirit lured us together. I think it's so. that wild goose. Yeah. Oh, so it's, it's wild, all right. It's, so. it's wild and it's goose. <laughs> So, Bart, uh, back in the day, we were both uh, fellow youth pastors. We met last year. We've become friends. Good to have you back, dude. Uh, what's your favorite beverage of choice? Right now, I'm drinking a whole lot of water, uh, like like four or five liters of water every single day. But um, anything, the only thing that breaks that is uh, bi, uh, coconut bi, the B-A-I, like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, that drink. Yeah, yeah I drink it. Uh, that, that's my morning, like, guilty pleasure is a coconut buy, and then it's water from there on out. So pretty boring. Yeah, oh, no, no, sorry. I, no, I got to say, after all the people that we have interviewed right now, you are you look the healthiest. Your skin <laughs> looks better than everybody else's. The rest of us look like shit. Not that we've been drinking that much. Uh, no, no. No, not at all. No. This is, so we're talking about bad theology this year. The worst, crappiest theology you've ever been given that's been impressed upon you. Go. So I... Um, I suffer from Crohn's disease, so chronic illness, um, and that has been, I think, the single uh, most incredible platform for horrible theology in my life, Uh, as you see the way people respond to people who suffer from chronic illness. So I remember my first diagnosis was in college. And, uh, and, and well-meaning, you know, loving friends who were studying Christian ministry together at a Southern Baptist, small Southern Baptist school, right? And the question, I remember the first question I was asked in my diagnosis was, have you prayed about this? Have you asked God to take this away? Where's your faith? Right? Where's your faith? Like, clearly you haven't because, you know, and so, and, and so what, what did that mean? Did that, like, so if I, if I still have this tomorrow, does it mean that my prayers are, you know, so, it, so as I continued down that, but you hear a lot of that, right? You continue down that path. Okay, well, it must, be, uh, it must be because your prayers aren't righteous or you're not righteous. And Jesus was asked the same types of questions about yep. chronic illness. Um, yeah, but who's, who's uh, sin? Was it Exactly, dad, mom, right? There, there, someone did something wrong for this to be in place. But, but so there's been some wacky stuff on all ends of that that I've heard over the years. But, but I think the absolute worst and the most destructive um, piece or layer of bad theology that's come from that experience um, is, is believing that, that God intended that for, for my life. And, uh, and, and actually from the top down planned it 
wanted it. I think that's incredibly destructive. I would also say that to, to move to the other pendulum, to you know, the opposite pendulum, the, 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 the far-reaching uh, uh, theological advice on the other end, which would be that God had nothing to do with it, uh, <laughs> right? That he's just kind of sitting there crying with me in the corner about it. So sorry, fallen world sucks for you. Uh, it is damaging. But I think it's a little less damaging than than the former. So, uh, yeah, I think chronic illness allows you to witness a whole lot of bad theology. And, and it's, it's work to fight um, in your soul how susceptible you are to that and allowing it to creep in from yeah. the church. We don't deal well with people who are sick. Yeah, I mean, and, and luckily, I mean, for for you, uh, yeah, you're the, you're like the mature, wise type. That's like you can transcend the, some of the bullshit. But people, really, who are, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. We don't know each other that well, but no, from, no, from what I can I can tell. But there are people out there who are like, man, like they let's say they have no faith at all, or they're or they're new to this whole Christian thing, and they hear that and they're vulnerable to that. I'm like, dude, I mean, that's talk about toxic, right? I mean, absolutely. You, but I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I know this is a little bit rabbit trail right now, but. Do you, because of having this chronic illness, are you able to come alongside other people who possibly are a little bit more fragile? And I know you've been in fragile places. Right, right. But is it is there any kind of good in that that you do in ministry? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's everything. I, I am afraid, genuinely, of the person I would be without that in my life. I really am genuinely afraid of who I would be if I didn't walk uh, with, that, with that thorn uh, and with that affliction. And, um, and so it definitely gives me an empathy and an understanding in ministry with others and, uh, and, and gives me a bit of a platform. I tried some support groups for a while, and I think that's a hard place, especially in autoimmune disease, um, because it, can, it, just, it does what it wants to do. And so, you know, every, every well-intentioned, you know, uh, church mother I've ever had, you know, is like, well, you know, my, my granddaughter had, you know, she was healed from such and such because she ate coconut macaroons for six months, you yeah. know, or like, well, if you'll just eat juniper berries, you know, like that'll Dude, work you for you. you get on top of the essential oils. <laughs> you know, so there's everybody, every well-intentioned, yeah. you know, church lady has their cure. And so, um, and so what helps, I think, is when I see uh, somebody that, that's, that's now under that to yeah. just say, hey, come here. And, and no one in those shoes and in those places needs more advice. They just need somebody to say, yeah. hey, I'm walking with you through this. Yeah, you're not alone. I, you don't add to the noise. You actually just kind of nod your head and, and, and pat somebody on the back and, yeah. and, and love on them, you know. Yeah. I don't and, need another and, recipe. And, and for those of you out there who don't know who Bar Patton is, I guarantee you he's given some good love. So, and I mean that in, I mean that in like the most sincere way possible. So this guy's a good dude. So uh, speaking of hope and goodness and stuff that I think is Jesus-centric, what is your hope? That was Janelle in the back. Damn. She knows that we want to get to yeah. our reunion well, so, of Amy Grant here so, at the Wild Goose. So Janelle's trying to get us to go to Amy Grant. We're trying to speed it up. Baby, but, yeah, yeah. baby. <laughs> oh, stop with the euphemisms. Come on now. Here we go. Here we go. Your theology of hope for tomorrow that you're trying to like bring back into you today what's good for tomorrow because of what you're bringing in today man resurrection takes time and we need to we need to live into that um i i thought i had resurrection hope in my life but the truth is it was short-lived and so we need to be um long view marathon resurrection people and resurrection takes time 
took Jesus three days. And so a lot of times we think for us it means three days, yeah. and that's not that's not the truth. And so and so so to flip everything back around into hope, um, it's it's uh, like Nietzsche said, right? Like don't don't fight the monster to destroy the monster. Sometimes that just means you got to get devoured. And so the great hope there is resurrection, but it's not a weak re- or anemic resurrection. That is a long-standing resurrection. So my hope is still in resurrection. Um, and, and disappointment is real. Disappointment in faith, disappointment sometimes even it feels like in God, uh, it's real. And so our hope has to be, um, our resurrection hope has to be lasting. We have to see it long term. That's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. No, dude, that's, that's, a, that's a good word. So this, everybody, is Bart Bartholomew. But really it's not Bartholomew. It's like it's Bartlett, Bart, baby. Bartlett. It's Bartlett. Bart, Bartlett Patton <laughs> from SMU Perkins School of Theology. Pony up. There we go. And go Cowboys. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. see. Go Mets. Yeah, there we go. Peace. Thanks so much for listening to the Brew Theology Podcast. Hope you enjoyed listening to these on-the-street interviews at Wild Goose Festival from 2018. We'll see you next time. Cheers.